Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mace, and with me, as always, is Jay Jones. Hey. How's it going? Good morning. It's going pretty good. Yeah? All right, yeah. Yep, so uh, last night, oh, it's about 8 o'clock. I'm sitting in my living room. Uh, so no, this isn't going to be a shirt story, is it? No, no, no. Okay. I'm by myself. Right. I'm by myself. <laughs> All right. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, because you know my smell's messed up, right, from COVID still. It's, been it's a, still messed up? Yeah, and taste. It, okay. It, and they're saying the smell and all that could be could be permanent. I'm hoping not. I thought I feel like I'm getting like a little bit back, but, you know, things, they're just not normal. Okay. So I can't smell everything perfectly, like like the way it's supposed to be smelled. So I smell like, I thought, burning plastic. Okay. I'm like, there's a fire in the house somewhere. So I jump up. I'm like running around the house, like looking for like maybe a small electrical fire or something, mm. like a fire. And then I and then I get a whiff of what it really is, and it's a skunk smell. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, I know what's happened. Minnie, because she's the puppy. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, Gypsy knows better. She's the old hunting dog. Even though you know, when she in her younger days, she wouldn't care anyway. But she's older now, so she stays away. The young one, she's like 15 months old. I know what's happened. So I open the door and it is the like when you're right on a skunk smell, yeah. even if you have your smelling, which I don't, <laughs> like it doesn't smell like skunk on the road. You know yeah. what I'm talking about, Larry? Uh-huh. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. yeah it's like a chemical like, <laughs> weapon. And uh, so I'm like, okay, it's clearly sprayed outside. Mm-hmm. She comes in the house for a second. Just a second. I was yeah. like, I got to see if she's been sprayed. Yeah. So I'm like, sit. She sits. I don't even, and I'm not even touching her. And I bend down close to her head uh-huh. to smell it. And I'm like, I almost like died. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man. So I put her outside, put her in the fence, and I was like, get on Google. Is PetSmart open? I need seats. <laughs> They're not open, George, because it's, it's eight o'clock on a Sunday night. They're yeah. closed. Uh, I need skunk stuff. Mm-hmm. Target, they don't have it. Nothing. Yeah, tractor supply is closed. So I go over to Walmart. Okay. You got to picture me, all right? Yeah. I'm I'm major in chill mode right now because it's Sunday evening. Right. So I've got on shorts, uh-huh. just a white t-shirt, and, a, and I've got like a, that flannel hoodie I've got. Yeah. Uh, it's not not buttoned, so I, I probably look like a dude at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk in that place. And like I, I can just smell it. I know I smell like a skunk. <laughs> it's like stuck in my beard. Like it's on me. Yeah. All right. Even though I didn't get sprayed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I just walking through that place. I like I don't even care. I got to find the skunk stuff. And and I couldn't find it. So I'm standing there in the pet supply aisle, and I'm looking up and down the place, and I cannot find it. I'm like it's got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> this lady. And her, and her family, they're like 15 feet away from me. <laughs> she goes, and <laughs> 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 says to her husband, she's like, <laughs> she's like <laughs> somebody who really <laughs> I just I turned to her and I just start laughing out loud. <laughs> she probably thought I was a psychopath. 
I just look at her and start laughing. I can't, I can't help it. I'm just laughing That's at her. That's funny. <laughs> and I don't even tell her what, ha- what has happened. Oh. Uh, I got some help. Okay. And I finally found the skunks, the skunk spray stuff. It was, yeah. was kind of like hidden back behind. Okay. I bought all that they had. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, went home and well i'm not i'm yeah. not smelling any skunk well here so I, do you still smell it phineas come here <laughs> smell my hands oh phineas phineas smell, gets in they smell funny no. you can't smell it no it's still it might just be stuck in my nose okay all right but like i, I feel like it I feel like it's on me <laughs> That's good. That's really good. That was my. Sunday that was a good. Night. That was a good story. Yeah. <laughs> so even the even the COVID can't uh, can't knock out the smell of skunk if you're right I up on it. Can't stop it, man. Okay. It's bad. All and right. The guy's like, "How you need to go home? Skunk spray can be fatal to a dog." He was like all serious about the the Walmart. I was like, "I appreciate your concern." It can be fatal to a dog. I've never heard that. You uh, ever hear that, Larry? I never heard that either. That's <laughs> that's bizarre. Yeah. Dying from a smell? Yeah. I've never heard that before. Spray right in the face? I don't know. Yeah, I've never heard that ever. Wow. That was a good story, Jay. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that story. That's good. All right. I wonder what that lady thought about. I was just laughing out loud. I couldn't help it. Yeah. Just just laughing and laughing. Yeah. In the middle of Walmart. Right. (laughs) My goodness. Oh, man. All right. So my my eight-year-old son is here. And he's oh, uh, he he's really excited about being in in with us today. All right, go sit down. Phineas, he's, he's a star now. What'd you come up with Phineas. the name? Tell us. Uh, it's from uh, Aaron's grandson Phineas in mm. uh, in Numbers. Good. Yeah, I like it. So it's, it's very unique. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you got Phineas and Ferb. You ever watch Phineas and Ferb? Jay? I've seen it before. Never, never that's really a, watched that's it. That's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, a pretty good one. <laughs> but we did not name him after Phineas. I knew that Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, yeah we named him after I want, for the listener. I wanted them. Yeah, to we know. named him. We named him after uh, after Phineas the priest, who becomes the high priest. Yeah, he's the high priest in uh, in Joshua, mm. the end of Joshua. Yep, he stabs stabs a guy with a spear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's interesting. Sometimes your kids grow into their name. Yeah. And uh I can't imagine Phineas and his personality being named anything else yeah. other than Phineas. So I call him our little reformer because him and Martin Luther I think would have gotten along oh, yeah? really well. All right. Yep. All right. Well, we're back at it. Yep. I guess we probably should uh Maybe uh, before we forget, let people know that we won't have free for all. We didn't have it last week, right? And we won't have it this week for uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, so we'll we'll take a few few weeks off, and then um, we may get one episode in a free for all, and then we're gonna take a break during um, Christmas or December. Yeah, we ha- we haven't taken any time off from this podcast for like yeah, not really. It's almost going on two years. It's getting close, and we crank out. Way more podcasts than most people do. So we're going to take a break in December. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if you don't, uh, if you don't see anything on uh, YouTube. That's why. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, but we'll take a little bit of a break. All right. Just wanted to get that in before we uh, yeah. get into our text and then just completely forget everything else. So we're back in John chapter 19. Yep. Um, so you told me we when, when I came into your office last week and we were talking about this passage, you said that even one of your commentaries that you use just kind of skips over this yeah. this passage, mm-hmm. which is weird because isn't the commentary you showed me wasn't it like a preaching? It was. It's a pre- it's a preaching commentary, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So I have so it like, kind of glosses over that passage. Like I have a, a collection of like tons of John commentaries going right. all the way back to John Calvin. Some of them are really technical, uh, just like you know grammatical and stuff. And then some of them, like like that one, is uh, like a, like preaching, and so yeah. I'm able to find a lot of good illustrations out of it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you always got to be searching for illustrations, but yeah, just like skip this section. Mm. Yeah, just went right on into twenty. Interesting. Yeah. Any any thoughts on why it would skip this section? I don't. You almost put this with what. The, with chapter 20, or were you going to originally do it with chapter 19? Yeah, I almost put it in with 20. With 20, okay. Because yeah, I've got this sermon on um, that's coming up mm-hmm. on like new creation. Yeah. Well, it's the resurrection of a new creation. Right. The garden theme and stuff like that. The gar- So I almost just put it together. Yeah. Um, and if I did that, that, I wouldn't have spent much time in this at all. Right. I think maybe that's the tendency, is you just mm-hmm. read through it and you think it's just a... It's just a, an account of facts, right? Right. So this is this is the story of Joseph of Arimathea asking for the body of Jesus and uh-huh. Nicodemus, right? Pr- kind of procuring the the spices for right. the preparation of his body mm-hmm. um, and and his burial. Yeah. Right. So I'm glad that you did this passage, and not just because I'm rooting on for you to. Uh, get seven seven <laughs> sermons in but is that, I, I, is that is that what you bet on that's what seven? i'm that's what i'm that's what i'm counting on i'm counting on seven don't <laughs> let me down jay all right. all right so i like i like what you did with this i'm glad that you slowed down and you looked at this um and again i, I think you're right it's we we come to this story and we're so familiar with it that we just kind of gloss over it as well this this is what happened right and that's why John includes it because he's just giving you facts. Mm-hmm. And we forget that the biblical authors are not simply writing history. Mm-hmm. They're not just writing what happens. Even when you look at the Old Testament and the way that uh, Joshua and Judges and Kings are presented, it's not just history. That They are telling us what happened, but they're selective on what they tell us because they're actually teaching us theology. Right. And that's what John is doing also. It's This this isn't included just to fill in the gaps. It's meant to inform us about something. Yeah, especially I think John being that he wrote after the other Gospels mm-hmm. were written, he's writing um, to teach like very profound theological truths. Okay. And he's not like making the facts up. Right. But he's presenting them to you and he's including the de- including details that may not have been in the other ones. Right. Cuz they the other ones kind of write from their own angle too. Mhm. Um they're all trying to teach something. Right. And and so if there's a detail that's not in the others, you got to have to stop and ask a question like why. Right. 
So that's that's what I did. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there's a detail here that's not in the others. That's that Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple, but secretly. Mm. Okay. He's a so he's a secret disciple. Right. And, and I, that's, like, I gotta I gotta check this out. Right. <laughs> and, I gotta, and I need to think about it more. And that that's your main that's your main idea mm-hmm. is the idea of the the secret disciple. And the more I started to think about it. Um, the more I saw that it fit with last week's sermon okay. on John. Right. So. And it, it really fits in with a lot of what John talks about. And it really does fit, because preview of where we're going, um, chapter 20, probably I'll give in one sitting. And the whole idea of chapter 20... We'll see. Hey, you have doubts? Uh, we'll You've see. got your doubts? We'll, uh, we'll see. The whole you're you're going to be preparing for Thanksgiving. <laughs> you're going to be sitting there in a turkey coma, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to do a handful of verses this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole idea, I think the whole idea of 20 is John, and I think it fits with this one today, John's trying to get you to be like Nicodemus and mm. Joseph. Okay. So he's he's trying to get you to come out into the open and belief. Okay. Like belief. Okay. And so there's several examples you'll see next week. Uh, people who saw and believed, they saw and believed, they saw mm-hmm. and believed, and then there's this kind of emphasis on people not seeing and believing. Yeah, and then he tells you why he wrote these things. Okay, and that's that's fused together with the story of the resurrection and the theme of new creation. Yeah. So we'll see if I can pull it off in one sermon, George. Hey. All right. Larry, Larry <laughs> smirked over there. Yeah. The I I have a couple of doubters in here. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's have you read this section. This is John chapter nineteen. It's verses thirty eight through forty two. Let's have you read it, and then we'll uh, we'll jump in and start talking about it. Okay. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier came to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. All right. You said that um, what George Whitfield called them almost Christians? Um, not them. He had a term for people like okay. them. Okay. And that's what he called it. He's okay. got a whole sermon he does Yeah, called the almost Christian. Okay. Uh, the, Is that the one that he got a dead cat thrown at him? I don't know. Because maybe. Of... maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's got this term for people who hear the gospel or are not on the verge mm. of being a disciple. Okay. And so he's very passionate about trying to get right. them to move from that state. Right. Okay. All right. Well, you had uh, you had three points, and then you had three applications, mm-hmm. right? So your points are there is the existence of secret disciples. Yep. There is the fear of secret disciples, and then there's the public witness of a disciple. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's let's just walk through them. So there is the existence of secret disciples. Where are my notes? I have no idea where your notes are. I don't know where my notes are, George. You know, if you uh, if you wrote your notes by hand, <laughs> you just always have them in front of you. That's true. You know, 
Wouldn't that's even have true. to worry about it. Um, let me pull them up. <laughs> the existence we, of secret disciple. We are uh, professionals. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, you read the phrase, <clears throat> and I think one of the things that we may be tempted to do, which which would not be a, a wise thing to do, is to import our idea of that term disciple into what this term means. Right? We think a disciple of okay. Jesus, and we think a Christian, and I don't think that's what the phrase secret disciple means. Okay. Like you just take the word disciple and what it meant, and what it means is to be a learner from a teacher okay. at its most basic level. Okay. Or you could say like a, a master student relationship, a pupil. And we know this is true because of Judas, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like nowhere is Judas um, called not a disciple. Right. right. You know, like he is he Jesus. is a disciple, right? Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he was a believer. That's right. Yeah. So he's one of the twelve that have the student master relationship with Jesus. Okay. And there are there are other people too, even around that are real disciples. They're not part of the twelve. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger group that follows him around. Right. Um and they're not secret disciples, they're just disciples. They're mm-hmm. public learners. Yeah believers uh, to some extent that Jesus is the Messiah. But then there's this other group, John 12, which we'll see later, but John 12 says there's this group, even of the authorities who believed in Jesus, right, but they're not public. Mm. And among that group is apparently Joseph and, I think, Nicodemus. Okay. So Joseph is a secret disciple, meaning like it's concealed. Nobody knows he is. Mm -hmm. So he's got, over Jesus' ministry, apparently he watches like from afar, the shadows, and he listens, and he is believing to an extent the teachings of Jesus and uh, possibly even thinking that he's the Messiah, I think, yeah. from what's mentioned about him by the other gospel writers. He's one looking for God's promise fulfillment in the kingdom, looking for the kingdom. Okay. Um, and so he has some belief, but he, he doesn't make it public. Yeah. He's in the shadows. Okay. So, and the same is so. Let let's let's talk about who is Joseph of Arimathea before we go to the next okay. the next person. Yeah. So who is this guy? So uh, Matthew, if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the composite you get is he's a rich man. He's an influential member of the Sanhedrin, which is the Council of the Seventy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the sixty nine influential elders of Israel composed some priests, some Pharisees, scribes, and the high priest is the seventieth, mm-hmm. and they control like a combination of all three branches of our government. Right, that's the best way to think of them. Yeah, um, incredibly important and powerful. Um, he's also the, uh, m- uh, mentioned that he's a righteous man, meaning. Yeah. He's a strict. He he is obedient to the law of God. He's like how Paul would describe himself mm-hmm. before he was converted. Right. You can't bring an accusation against him. Yeah. He's keeping the law. Yeah. Um. He's looking for the fulfillment of God's promise in the kingdom, and apparently there's also an account of him uh, in Luke that he uh, he did not go along with the charge against Jesus. So don't know if he publicly like gave a no vote or if he abstain like was an abstain vote okay but he didn't give his vote okay to the uh 
at the trial of Jesus. Okay. So they at that that point at least, I mean this is only hours before. Mm-hmm. He's he is uh, objecting to what's happening. Okay. So that's that's him. Okay. And he's as the text tells us he's a secret disciple. That's why he was he's takes that position. Right. And then there's uh Nicodemus. Okay. Who we met earlier in John chapter 3 and he in the um John brings it up here. This is Nicodemus who earlier came to Jesus by night, verse 39. And he's also a member of uh, the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee, uh, so same type of political position, wealthy, all of that. And he comes to Jesus and he admits, we know you, you're someone who's come from God. No one can do the things you do unless God sent them. That's pretty much what he goes. And Jesus then begins to launch into the you must be born again right statements about entering the kingdom mm-hmm. um, and you can see he's concealing himself he comes at night like that's how he comes right that's why you know I, I said before and it's true people make all kinds of things and, and the reason they do is because people think John or the Johannine community is recording <laughs> this right yeah so the Johannine community for those listening, would be what liberals speak. That the this community of people composed John's gospel. Mm-hmm. So they recorded Nicodemus came at night because there's some type of theological statement that's trying to be made about darkness and yeah. light themes. But that's not at all true. John is the author, and I love what John MacArthur says. He says, you know why John records that Nicodemus came at night? Because it was night. Yeah. And so then you ask the question, why'd he come at night? And it's obvious it's because he doesn't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And you can hide yourself in the darkness right? because he's a secret disciple. Yeah. And you run into Nicodemus again about a year later after John 3 and John 7. Uh, they have some type of, I guess, pretty poor plan to have the temple officers arrest Jesus when he's at the temple. This is about a year before Jesus' crucifixion. So the middle of public ministry, and they go to these these temple office, officers go to arrest them, and they can't because they're dumbstruck by his awesome teaching. They come back and they're like, "Why don't you have Jesus?" And he said, "They're like, no one ever taught like this man, uh, with, with such great authority." And they're like, "Have you become believers too? No one even of the uh, of the council has become believers or whatever, and uh, none of us are fooled." And of course, we know that. Uh, Nicodemus is there, and he objects to what they're trying to do, and he tells them um, that Jesus must have a lawful trial. So we're uh, a year removed, and Jesus's mandate, or Nicodemus is, to some degree, though he's still secret, he's saying, "Look, Jesus has to be treated fairly under the law." So he's sticking his neck out, right? And they're like, "Uh." Are you convinced too? Uh, Once you search the scriptures and see, no prophet comes from Galilee, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. And Nicodemus yeah. is, disappears for another year until he appears here, yeah, back on the scene. Okay, so what you kind of hit on it? What what does a secret disciple look like for them? For these two men? Yeah. How can you? So a disciple is someone that is is following mm-hmm. a, a teacher. Right. Right. So what does it look like to be a secret follower of a teacher? <laughs> right. 
well, it probably means that they listened from afar, pretending they weren't. Uh, so they're two different people, right? They're concealing their true uh, motivations for being around Jesus or anything like that. So they they listen, and they're 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 believing the things that Jesus says. They're even maybe believing he's the Messiah, but they're not out in public, mm-hmm. and we'll see why in a little bit. So they keep it they keep it a secret. So they probably even saw miracles. Um, they may even have at times sent their servants to report back to them, like, what is Jesus teaching? What is he doing? And that whole time, they're, they're in some sense, they have some type of intellectual belief that Jesus could be the Messiah. Okay. So let's, let's jump, let's, let's bridge the gap between 2,000 years and today. What does a secret disciple look like today? Are, are there still secret disciples? And what does that look like? Um, and I, I'm thinking especially about um, the congregation that was that was there, mm. right? Because you're, you're preaching to people who are identifying as Christians for the most part. Um, is it possible to still be a secret disciple? Um, and what, what do you think that looks like? What kind of example that I gave, is it, you want me to use that as illustration? Sure. If that would be helpful. So here, here in my mind, here's kind of how it could look like, even for people that may go to church. People think, oh, well, you can't be a secret disciple and go to church. Well, of course you can, because you've got these different circles in your life, right? You have church, then you have school, if you're a student, college, or high school, or if you're an adult, you've got work, and the circles may not interact ever, except for that you 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 can traverse between them. So, in the uh, when I was in the army, you know, you can't really hide anything from each other in the army, right? If peop- if you train up, deploy, come home in a unit, um, everybody kind of knows each other, right? And you can't really hide anything from each other. You just that's just the way it is. So I went into this one guy's office. This is after I'd known this guy for probably like two years, uh, maybe even more. And he had a little Caleb donation um, envelope. This is back in the day for the for the young youngins listening. Okay, there's no Venmo. All right, <laughs> all right. Can't send electronic giving. No electronic giving. Who? Um, Elon Musk invented PayPal, right? That's his first thing. Yeah, this is pre-PayPal. So there's envelope, giving envelopes, like you mail them in, Mm -hmm. and it's K-Love one. I'm like, oh, you you, uh, support K-Love? That's like a Christian radio station. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's interesting. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I am. And I never would have (laughs) known. Right? Uh There wasn't anything like particularly like immoral about the guy. Like he was just a normal guy, good, you know, good at his job, did his job. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have that same experience of working with someone, and then one day you discover that they call themselves a Christian, right? Or go to church, yeah. But news to you, right? News to me, shock, shock, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when in our unit there were several uh, Christians who were just very open. Mm And our commander was cool with that. Yeah, you know, and so there's there's no pressure to not have that be in the open. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised. 
Um, but yeah, that's people can do that. Yeah, they're uh, just a secret, their secret disciple. So it's a silence. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would right would say? It's a private thing. Like it's mm-hmm. a, this is between me and God type mm-hmm. thing, you right? Know? Or you know, there could be a uh, a secret disciple in this sense too, that people are in church um, believing intellectually the things. And like making some type of mental ascent to it, mm-hmm. but then out in the world, they're just somebody completely completely different. Yeah, like they are like the world. Okay, they blend in perfectly. Okay, there's that sense too. Right. Okay. All right. So the existence of secret disciples, and it's a danger that we we encounter even today. It's not mm-hmm. unique to Joseph of Arimathea or or Nicodemus. Uh, let's let's go to the second point, which is the fear of the secret of the secret disciples, and we see why people are tempted to be um, just secretly following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, verse thirty-eight tells you why is a secret disciple. Um, is a disciple of Jesus secretly, and then the phrase for fear of the Jews. That's all he says mm-hmm. for fear of the Jews. And the Jews, what's, this is what's interesting about it. That phrase, the Jews, refers to the leadership. It doesn't refer to just the Jewish people. It refers to like the influential, the powerful, the leaders, mm-hmm. those who would be involved in the conspiracy right. to kill Jesus. So the members of the Sanhedrin, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the group he's a part of, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's afraid of the group he's a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently Nicodemus is as well. That's why he remains in secret. Yeah. So they have fear. It's the fear of man, of what could happen to them if they're found out. Okay. John 12 gives more detail because there's a there's a larger group. This is what John 12, 42 through 43 says. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities, that's this, this group, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that came from man more than the glory that comes from God. So at this point, they're counting the cost, right? Which mm-hmm. Jesus demands everyone does. And they are loving their reputation or the glory they receive from man more than the glory they would receive from God or the glory of God itself. Yeah. So they're counting the cost, and they're afraid of man more okay. than, they, than they fear God. Mm-hmm. We see this. Um, I, I don't remember you bringing this up, but you, we see this in chapter 9, mm-hmm. right, with the man who was born blind. Yeah. His parents. His parents come in. They ask him, is this your son who was born blind? Right. Yes. Yeah. What happened to him? He's grown. Right. Ask, ask him yourself. Him. And then John puts in his his commentary and in verse 22, it says, they said this because the, the Jewish leaders had said anyone who, who confesses that Jesus is the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Right. Right. Uh-huh. And so his parents are fearing being put out of the synagogue. And so they say, he's a big boy. Right. <laughs> ask him. Ask him. Right. Uh, don't don't bother us. We're which we're is a, cool. Yeah, it's a cultural death sentence. Uh huh. Right. It's like being excommunicated. Yeah, I don't think we I don't think we really understand that because the synagogue was the heart of the Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. Right. If you if you're put out of the synagogue, then you are ostracized from the community. Right. Um, and and so you're cut off from family, friends, yeah, employment. Yeah, it's like being unvaccinated. Yeah. 
you just get put out of everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess but, so. <laughs> so it's a joke. It's a joke. For, don't get triggered. Right. <laughs> Got to have a good sense of humor if you listen to this podcast. So they or a really bad sense <laughs> of humor. Yeah. Well, you know, people in the military have pretty pretty messed up senses of humor. Yeah, and it's hard to shake it even after all these years. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what my problem is because I've never <laughs> been in the military. <laughs> uh, it's all those Marvel movies you watch. I guess. All right. So what are they what are they fearing? They're fear they're fearing being put out of the synagogues. What what would that mean? It would mean um well for Joseph and Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. Uh it means they're off the Sanhedrin. Okay. Right. So imagine you're like a step away from being the president of the United States, because you're in. If you if it, well, it depends on if you're in the the priestly line, which they may be. They're on the Sanhedrin, but doesn't necessarily mean that they are. But mm-hmm. they're there, and they're the seat of power, right? Yeah. It means you lose all the power, all the prestige, which comes from being on the seventy, all the influence. And if they had any type of employment, they're not going to be able to get it here. Yep. They'll probably have to leave Israel and go to a Roman province mm-hmm. just to live, just okay. to get a job. Yeah. So your family will disown you. You'll lose everything that you know about being a Jew. You're gone. You're gone. You're done. Yeah. That's what they have to risk by being by stepping out from being a. I'm no longer secret. I'm public. Okay. And they're afraid, so they've counted the cost at this point, and they said Jesus isn't enough. He's not good enough for me to. Follow right in that sense. I'll yeah. remain secret, right in the shadows. Okay, those are big things to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we don't want to downplay that. That that's huge, right? Um, but you look in our our culture and our society, and that's that's not really the reality of of being a Christian in our society, right? So, what are people afraid to lose today? Mm. I think reputation. Okay. Like if you do have some ma- manner of influence, maybe at work or at school, people look up to you, you're popular, uh, you'll lose that. And for some people, that's everything. Uh, you can lose, if you do have any, um, well, yeah, I mean, that's your reputation. I think that's about the, the most you could lose today in America. Okay. Uh, and to some people, that's everything. Yeah. People may say mean things about you. You could lose friends. I guess you could lose family too. Yeah. So there is a lot to lose. I, I guess it depends on what position you're in. I could see potentially you even maybe losing a job. Yeah. Um, maybe if you're in the education, certain type of education fields, maybe mm-hmm. college professors, because you know liberals wield tremendous amount of power. Right. Um. Yeah. So. Losing friends, though, for sure. You yeah. could lose friends and family members. Um, so the temptation would be to remain quiet, yeah. go along with the flow. Mm-hmm. So take, for instance, um, a former uh, church member that was here, her very best friend. Friends. So let's imagine your friend from the time you were a little kid. You grow up, you're in your 20s, uh, late 20s, and you are married now, and you've got kids. And your best friend says, hey, I need you to come to my wedding. You know, I'm marrying, uh, uh, I'm a homosexual. I'm, this is, you know, this is our marriage. We're in love, just like you and your spouse. We want you to come and share in our celebration. And this is a legit true story. And mm-hmm. you're like, write a very kind letter, you know. 
I can't because to attend, to be a witness is to lend your, you know, your approval to say, and I can't do that as a witness to uh, my kids and to the world. And that doesn't mean I don't love you because I'll, you know, I always love you no matter what happens to you. You know, this doesn't change for me, our friendship. And then the friend writes back, you will accept everything about who I am or we're not friends. Hmm. Right. Right. And so that the person then kicks you out of this because you're trying to follow Jesus and like fully all of his teachings, his ethical teachings, his teachings on the family, sexuality, right? Gender, you name it. You want to follow Jesus that he is exclusively the only way of salvation. You're going to, things like that are going to pop up in our culture. Yeah. You may, your friends, you may lose them. Your very best ones. Yeah. Family, you may lose family. Um, Things make it very tense. I know. I mean, there's another story. I don't, I don't know if I want to how much detail I want to go into it. Another, say, a pastor. I'll keep it pretty vague, but similar similar story with uh, like a, a sibling. Not exactly the same scenario. In love, approaches and says, "Can't be a part of this." Um, and then the other the sibling just blows up, mm-hmm. right? So you could lose family yeah. over it. Right. Unfortunately, today, <clears throat> kind of a pattern we've talked about before is that parents seem to be who have one one time made a good public witness. Their children have adopted the ways of the world. Yeah. Whether that be in uh, like homosexual relationships, transgenderism could be even just like. Um, immoral heterosexual relationships. They live together. Yeah. And then you see the parents jettison, like following explicitly the teachings of Christ in order to keep that relationship with their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, on social media, I haven't seen it in a while, but several years ago, it, it just seemed like all the time there was. A pastor who said, "Well, I used to hold this position, but um, after further study, I realized that's not Paul is not talking about this kind of like monogamous homosexual relationship." Come to find out, a kid had you know come out as a mm-hmm. homosexual, so their their study really was more of, "I don't want to lose my child over this issue." And so I'm going to shift. Right. Right. There's a form of Christianity that may be held. And I have this awesome quote by Alexander McLaren, who uh, died in 1905. Yet somehow this is still applicable today. It's amazing, right? It's like things never change. Yeah. There's a form of Christianity that's totally acceptable. I mean, if you ask most people around where we live, they're going to say they're a Christian. Yeah. And they're not going to be, they're not going to be persecuted for that. They're not going to lose family or friends for that. But it's if you follow, like, for real, the Bible, then you may. So people count that cost all the time, yeah. and they cave to the fear of man. Mm. Um, he, he says this, There's nothing in the organization of society at this day to make any afraid of avowing the ordinary kind of Christianity which satisfies the most of us. Rather, it is the proper thing with the bulk of us middle-class people to say that in some sense or another, we are Christians. But when it comes to a real avowal, a real carrying out of true discipleship, there are as many 
and as formidable, though very different, impediments in the way today for those which block the path of these two cowards in our text, speaking of Joseph and Nicodemus. Yeah. You said he died a long time ago? Yeah, 1905. He could have been writing today. He could have been. Because we live in a place where a lot of people say that they're they're Christians, mm-hmm. right? In Oklahoma, you've got you got people that claim to be Christian but don't go to church, don't look like Christians. That would be your ordinary Christian, right? That'd be the ordinary kind that he says is appropriate culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's okay to say you're a Christian until you start doing Christian things. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to just say it, but uh-huh. just if you actually be it. Right. Then we got a I problem. still it's so funny you you see you see people outraged when a Christian says something against homosexuality or against transgenderism or um we're we're actually calling abortion murder or you know they're they're outraged that we would say things that we're just saying what the Bible says. Right. Like we're we're just trying to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Um but if you claim to be a Christian as long as you're pro-choice and you're, you know, uh, an an ally and you know right. pro-LGBTQ and and all of that, that that's that's okay. Yeah. But if you're against those things, well, you could be you're the wrong you're the wrong kind of Christian, right? As long as you say, accept every other religion as right. legitimate <laughs> ways to God. Yeah. Just don't act like a Christian. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's let's get to the serious question that we have to answer. Can a secret Christian actually be a Christian? Is a is so we 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 already said that a disciple does not equal Christian. Yeah, yeah. But now we need to narrow narrow it down even further and say, okay, here's here's these people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, or or maybe even someone that's listening, um, who they find that they go to church on Sundays and they go through they they worship and they listen they bring their bible they actually you know they they may even read their bible and and study it at home but when they right. go out into the workforce or they go to school all of a sudden they you know they clamp down it's it's a personal it's a personal thing it's not something that i have to i i don't have to make this a big a big deal out in public it's my heart intention is is i'm a christian mm-hmm. but it's not i don't have to make it known to everybody. Some people So so can can you be that and be a genuine Christian? Um I I don't think you can. I mean not that I don't think you can. Jesus says you can't. Well and I'm going to read these passages. They're hard hitting. Uh Jesus says no. And I think some people today make that decision. They make a calculated decision. All God cares about is the intention of my heart. Right. I know that I'm truly committed to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But because of all of these things I may lose, relationships, whatever. He, he doesn't really care about that. What he cares about is my sincerity and what I personally believe. Yeah. So I can have two separate lives, the public life, and there's my private personal life. Yeah. Christ, Christianity is a private religion. I am. Um, now, I'm, I'm not saying everyone has to turn into George Whitfield, <laughs> right? Yeah. But right. can you be a secret disciple? The answer is no. Okay. 
There was, uh, I, and I, I'm sure I've shared this on here before. I've, I tell people all the time when we were Northwest Baptist, there was a women's Sunday school class that my mom would attend whenever they were in town visiting. And uh, she, she told me this story that one time when, when they were here, they were asking the question, if someone pointed a gun in your face and asked, are you, are you a Christian? Would you say yes? And if it meant you would die right then, would you say yes? All the women in the, in the class were saying yes, except this one woman, she said she would say no. And of course, they were all shocked by, <laughs> by mm. this. And her excuse was something like, well, I, God wouldn't want me to die over this. I could ask Jesus for forgiveness later. <laughs> and um, my mom was, was horrified <laughs> by this. But I think that there are, I mean, that, that sounds ridiculous, but let's take it down to a you know a not a life or death decision just having a conversation with someone or uh someone is telling a dirty joke at work or telling a story that you know this is not honoring to god and instead of um using that as a, a opportunity to share the gospel you just clamp down or you laugh you, you go along with it or you just you just stay quiet mm. Um, and I think a lot of people would fall into that category. What What does Jesus say about things like that? Yeah, so, you know, Jesus is always good at dispersing a crowd, <laughs> and the way he does it is by this hard teachings. Mm-hmm. So he says in Luke 9, 23 through 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Cross is a death sentence. Right. I mean, it... It's a, this is incredibly clear, explicit language. Count the cost. Will you die to be my disciple? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and, lo- and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of his, fa- glory of his Father and the, of the angels." I mean, it can't be more explicit than that. And he has similar things he says like three more times um, that we could go through. If you are ashamed of Jesus, he will not be uh, professing you mm. to his Father. If you don't profess him publicly, he will not profess you to his Father. He will have nothing to do with you right. if you're ashamed of him. Mm. And in the language he uses, what does it profit you to gain the world? Now, that's the reason people count the cost, right? And out of fear of man, they deny Jesus or they're ashamed of him and be secret disciple because they count the cost and they say, well, well, look at all that I have to gain by being a secret disciple. Yeah. And he says, if you gained the world like that, mm-hmm. you'd lose your soul. Right. And in our, our context, to, to proclaim Jesus is more than just saying, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Right. It's actually following Jesus. Right. And so when it comes to... Uh, issues like homosexuality, you're following Jesus. If you are are um, acknowledging Jesus, to apply that that verse would mean that you're following Jesus in what he says about sexuality. Sure, right. And it, it doesn't just have to be that. I mean, it's there are tons of people. Pro- I mean, where we live, even more. Who uh, I mean, the sexual ethic is the thing I think that you see in Scripture addressed. And it becomes one of the most clear signs that someone has become a Christian because mm-hmm. this this Roman world is a, is just infused with sexual immorality, right? Of all kinds, 
and someone becomes a Christian and they stop doing those things because Jesus has a different way to live in his world. It's one of the surest signs that someone's been converted mm. as they stop doing what they used to do, right. which was like all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, but today, you I mean, just everywhere, I mean, and Christian parents go along with it, you know? Your kids are living together and they're, of course, having sex. What kind of person would believe that two heterosexual people just live together for a year or two before they get married and they don't? This is ridiculous. And it's just totally acceptable today. And this why this is why we have no moral authority to even speak on things like homosexuality yeah. or transgenderism because the world sees how utterly hypocritical we are. The Bible explicitly lists fornication uh, as, as sexual immorality, the kind that people who commit will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, um, it, it lists the ways of the flesh of which we don't partake of as, as a, it's compared as opposite as the way a Christian lives by the power of the Spirit. And they say, like, you, you guys are just hypocrites. You don't even... Look, why would we listen to you on anything, mm. right? Um, and so it's just... it That's obvious and apparent that people would count the cost, at least in this degree, and say, hmm, whatever. Jesus isn't worth that. Yeah. But I'll still say I'm a Christian, though. Right. Because that's what we do in this world. Mm-hmm. We say we're Christians, accepted culturally, maybe even go to church. I mean, like, the, people go to church like that. Pastors full well knowing that these people that are members of their church, they are living together, and they do nothing. There's no church discipline. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, and it's out of fear. Like, pastor fears what the congregation will do to him if he says something. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that the church has treated at, so lightly um, is divorce. Yeah. Um, and why don't you speak up against divorce? It's because everyone is getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, you don't even have to have a reason to get a divorce. And, well, you're going to, you're going to offend people if you say that divorce is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so a lot of a lot of churches just kind of ignore it, just right. gloss over it, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. Shouldn't run rampant. It shouldn't no. run rampant in the church. That's um, that's a poor gospel witness. Jesus only gives very narrow uh, acceptance for reasons that divorce could could mm-hmm. take place. That's not what we see today in in, in right. most places. People just getting divorced because they like fall out of love with each other, right? And then they destroy their child's life. Mm-hmm. I, uh, as you were talking about, um, you're given the verses on, on Sunday about Counting you got to take, take up the cross, you got to count the cost. I was thinking about Revelation um, chapter 21 mm. uh, in verse, uh, verse 8. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very interesting that that list begins with the cowardly. Cowards, yeah. Well, what does that mean? Is it just someone that is more passive? It's someone that is shy? In the context of the book of Revelation, it's someone that doesn't confess christ yeah they're ashamed it's it's, they're they're scared it's this this secret disciple Uh right and uh so the list here is that the cowardly those who don't profess faith in christ openly they're not actual christians 
That's they're right. not really believers, and mm-hmm. they're going to suffer the second death. Right. Um, I, you see in, in chapter 12 of Revelation that when when the saints, how do the saints overcome the dragon? How do they overcome the devil? It's because of the word of their testimony. Mm-hmm. Right. That's an open, that's a public declaration that they are following Christ. Yeah. And you see that throughout the book, that there's there's not this, this um, kind of subcategory of a, a genuine Christian they're the people that are are secret. They mm-hmm. keep it. They keep it to themselves. A real Christian throughout the Book of Revelation is someone who publicly acknowledges Christ and follows Him. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. So we've got. There's the existence of secret disciples. There's the fear of secret disciples. But finally, there is the public witness of a disciple. Mm-hmm. So Joseph and Arimathea. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They don't stay secret disciples in our passage. Right. Yeah. They they come forward and uh, it's now. How do we know that? Well, Joseph goes to Pontius Pilate. Okay. So imagine the scandal. The Sanhedrin has just voted yeah to have Jesus crucified. Mm-hmm. They procure that through Pontius Pilate and their shenanigans, their political uh, shadiness, as yeah. we saw a few weeks ago. And then here comes a member. Uh huh. Jesus has died. Can I have his body, please? Now, right. isn't he just being a? Isn't he just being a? You know, good Jew. You give someone a proper burial. Yeah. Just it's just a decent thing to do. You don't just throw them in a pile of garbage. No, I mean this is this is a very radical thing. If you <laughs> crucifixion is such a horrific thing. If you're just like a Roman, they just leave you up on the cross and you just get eaten by animals. They just leave you up there as warning to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. The Jews, though, as we saw, would request to take the bodies down so the land wouldn't be defiled. Can't leave a Jew hanging on the cross, and so they would take them down. And if they're if they're if they're convicted criminal, um, even the family would not bury them in a family grave because they would say that would defile the tomb. Yeah. So they would take them and bury them in a common a common criminal's grave outside of the city. Okay. So they would at least give them some type of burial, but they'd be buried with other criminals. Joseph goes, asks for the body, because um, Jesus' family's nowhere around. Even his public disciples are gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're gone, and, but he's come out now at this point. He's publicly now associating with, with, this, with Jesus, a convicted criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, though convicted wrongly, he's still been convicted of sedition against Rome. So dangerous even at this point, I would say, yeah. with the Romans, this is pretty brave. But then you think about just what he has to lose as a Jewish man. He now has everything to lose at this point. Mm -hmm. You're giving Jesus, the one who all of these people hate, you're going to honor him and give him a burial. Yeah, And that's exactly what he does. So he he goes to procure this body, the body of Jesus. And not only that, he's going to bury him in his own personal tomb. This is the tomb of a rich man. Yeah, Um, And so... There's him procuring the body. Nicodemus is at the same time running, I guess, logistics, and and he's getting the 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, aloe that will be needed in the cloth, the linen that will be needed to, to. Um, it's not it's not a mummification like the Egyptians did, but it's more like to prevent the corruption from setting in and to keep the odor yeah, down. Right. So they, but the amount that he gets is completely like. Like off the charts. It's okay. like what you would do for a king. Okay. So Jesus is 
buried like a king, and he's buried in a rich man's tomb and fulfilling Scripture. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man his death. So you die like a common criminal. Well, even worse than a common criminal, uh, uh, one that's trying to overthrow Rome. But you're a common Jew, a poor man. You die with criminals, but somehow you're buried like a king. <laughs> yeah. This is this is not something that people can arrange for themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus, fulfilling Scripture. Yeah. I'm sure you can imagine the the uh, Pharisees and religious leaders. That would that'd probably irk them. <laughs> right. Pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, that he's not just thrown out and forgotten. He's put in a, a rich man's tomb. Yeah, I mean they they're probably hoping he'll just get thrown thrown away like garbage in the criminal's mm-hmm, grave. Just be forgotten. Forgotten forever. Right. Uh, and instead Joseph buries him in his private tomb. It's a tomb no one's ever been laid in. They they give him the 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 custom that would be given to any other Jew, the Jewish uh according to their traditions, mm-hmm. and he's buried with dignity and with honor and put in a rich man's tomb. Yeah. And it's hasty. It's like less than 3 hours. Put him in the tomb and they roll the stone in place that sets up for us the coming resurrection. Yeah. So they they're out though. I mean, this is it. Right. They count the cost. They're public. And what's amazing about it is at this point Jesus does Jesus doesn't have anything to give them. Right. He's dead. Right. Yeah. Uh so we have to go public also, right? We go public. There has to be a time where a secret disciple transitions to public. Can't stay can't stay secret forever. If you are a Christian, you will come into the public light. You'll come, you'll step out of the darkness and into the light. Yeah. That's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Now, that's walking an aisle and saying a prayer and and <laughs> right. filling out a card, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that what that yeah, looks that's like? That's how we do it. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the Bible actually gives the the way that right. a disciple is supposed to go public, right? Yeah, and it's interesting to me, too, because their way of going public is associating with Jesus and his death. And what, yeah. what, what a surprise, that's how we go public, too. Yeah. And so in baptism, we go public, mm-hmm. associating with Jesus. It's scandalous. Yeah. We're saying God became a man and died. Mm. This is, to the Romans, was like, this is ridiculous. No deity would do this. Yeah. We're saying, and so we're saying we're associating with Jesus' death. His death is our death. We're being baptized, put under the water. My death is his death. Mm. His burial is my burial. The old man is gone. And then you come up out of the water symbolizing new creation, resurrection, yeah. all of that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it while we're sitting here. Um, baptisms used to be done out in the open, mm-hmm. publicly. Right. Um, I, I remember reading Baptist history, and, and I can't remember where I read it, but uh, they, they would do public baptisms and and people knew and i I remember reading the story of of some young woman who professed christ and she was going to be baptized and one of her unbelieving friends was standing there like crying and and telling her don't do this Um, because this is you're publicly proclaiming i'm going to follow jesus now right I, i think we lose some of that when we I mean, we still do it publicly. We we had some baptisms on Sunday, and they were done in public. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just in front of the congregation, right? And I think we've we've lost a little bit of what baptism is supposed to be by bringing it inside the building, right? It's, that's not an argument for us to 
you know, go out and dunk ourselves somewhere sure. in Lawton. Uh, <laughs> keep your mouth closed, right? right. Uh, but um, I, I think we have lost a little bit of yeah. what it means by by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget this. It was I think it my maybe my missions professor mentioned in way back in the seminary days. Can't even remember now. It's so long ago, George. Can't remember who who I who I heard it from. Him or my theology it's professor. Been like ten years, Jay. Well, it's too far. There's too many things that have gone in my head, and yeah. so memories have to go out. Okay. To get the new ones in. Yeah. And so he says, so all the, "You need to you need to remember that every time you watch a TikTok video. <laughs> like here here goes an essential memory. <laughs> uh, that's a good one, George. Touche." So he says, uh, whoever he is, whatever teacher it is, he says, uh, baptism, and he's talking about how, you know, we don't, baptism is like nothing now. In, yeah. In Baptist churches, it's like, eh, whatever. I, mean, <laughs> right. I got baptized. Yeah. Um, but he says, there are parts of the world still today mm-hmm. in Muslim countries or even maybe in some parts of like India and stuff. They'll persecute Christians there. Yeah. Like violently. You'd be beaten severely, maybe even killed. Uh, but you can go around all day long saying you're a Christian, and they don't even care until you get baptized. Okay. And I'll never forget that. Yeah. Because he said, look, even non-believers know the significance of a baptism. Right. And what that means. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. And we've missed, uh, we're missing that part of it. Right. Yeah. Even in Baptist history, it was dangerous for, for someone to get baptized. Like, we... As we would define it as biblical baptism, yeah. Uh, you, I mean, it was against the law <laughs> to to get baptized mm-hmm. by immersion as a believer. Um, we just kind of forget the importance of, of baptism. Yeah, it's you. It's you saying to the world, "I'm who you knew before." Yeah, is dead. Right. Well, that's probably why we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing leaving the uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, why baptism is not such a big deal anymore, even mm-hmm. among Baptists. Uh, you, you mentioned that you've, we've run across so many people that have not been baptized as believers mm-hmm. who have been attending Baptist churches for years. Or members. Maybe even members. Members, yeah. Right? I remember even before I went to seminary, so this would be back in like 2007 maybe, uh, see, I haven't watched TikTok videos, so I can remember these things. Uh, I think it was um, Henderson Hills, I think, in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it was Henderson Hills. They were having a big baptism debate. Is ba- I remember th- I remember reading a paper, a position paper that one of their their pastors put out. Is baptism a prerequisite for membership? Mm-hmm. This was one of the biggest Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in. Oklahoma City, and they were having this big debate about whether or not you could be a member without being baptized. Mm-hmm. Just blows me away, right? right. It's kind of in the name, <laughs> Baptist. <Sure. laughs> but uh, I don't think you, you can read the New Testament and see the apostles ever even having the concept of an unbaptized believer. Right. You 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 trust in Christ. You make it public by being baptized. That's right. You're making this public, open declaration to the world, and that that's counting the cost. And nowadays, you've got even Baptist churches that are saying, "Well, you can be a member, and baptism can come later." Right. 
Uh, so we've we've kind of gotten away from that. I think one thing that may be good to do, we may need to look at it. We could recapture some of this using technology. Mm-hmm. Is ask the baptismal candidate, uh, will you, as we record your testimony, agree to having your baptism recorded and have them put together, and will you put it on your social media page? Mm. Yeah. And yeah. now you're out in the world. Right. The, um, whole, so, the whole world knows now. Right. So the baptisms are on the the church Facebook page. Right. Um, but yeah, making it making it public to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. All right. So you had three application and and this is where we really get down to all right, what does this mean to to you? What does this mean to me? Um so the first the first thing is what you asked the question, what changed Joseph and Nicodemus? This is such a weird time for them to go public as disciples. Right. Here's the teacher, and he's dead. <laughs> and now they're going to say, I'm a disciple. Right. Like you said, he has nothing to give them now. Um, and even now, they're not, even his, his public disciples don't understand what he's been saying about he had to die and on th- the on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. They still don't understand. And so you can't imagine that Joseph and Nicodemus fully understand what's going to happen on the first day. Right. So what, what, what changed them? This is such an odd time to become a disciple. Yeah. It, it, to really get it, you have to think about what they, what they were able to see and hear before. (laughs) Just, just think about what they, what they saw. And this, this gets down to, like any preacher that would put a lot of stock in their abilities, I think, because no one has the abilities or the or the rhetoric or authority as Jesus. Yep. They they heard his teaching, mm-hmm. saw his preaching, and that wasn't enough to bring them out into the public light. All right, their secret, and they saw his miracles. No preacher could ever do a miracle today, like Jesus did. This is impossible. I won't say it's impossible because God can do whatever He wants. <laughs> Well, I mean, Todd well, White's out there on the streets lengthening people's legs. Yeah, and kick, and then the other Todd, Todd Bentley's Bentley kicking yeah. people in the face. Right. Um, but Jesus is is, is uh, giving sight to people who have been blind their entire life. Mm-hmm. He, he's doing no doubt miracles. We've got all the people that saw him raise Nicodemus from the dead or uh, Lazarus from the dead. They right. they saw him and they immediately went to the Pharisees and tattled on him. Right. Yeah. They this, they were spies mm-hmm. and they saw it. <laughs> right, spies from the Sanhedrin. Yeah, it's his his miracles were so public, right? And everyone knew it. That's why they said, "We know you're sent." Or Nicodemus said, "We know you're a man sent from God." Right, and that's why the other the other non believing members of the Sanhedrin say he had a demon. Yeah, because he's doing powerful. Like, right, so they they see supernatural things, and that it's not enough for them to come out of the shadows mm-hmm. into the light. Yeah. There's only one other thing that happened. So, so you've got pastors nowadays that drive motorcycles out onto the stage, or um, churches that have you know replicas right. of Star Wars mm-hmm. Tie Fighters sitting outside, or doing a Greatest Showman. Are you saying that that's not enough <laughs> right. to uh, to get people to right. follow Jesus? Yeah, that's definitely enough. That will convince someone, George. <laughs> that will convince you. Like they they're there on their own border. Think, do I renounce all that I have and follow right. Christ? I may lose my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife might not love me anymore. Uh, my kids may hate me. 
Um, I wasn't going to do it, but the pastor came out on a motorcycle. Now yeah. I'm, def- <laughs> I'm definitely doing it. Um, that that sermon exegeting the Marvel movies that hit so hard. Uh-huh. I'm converting, denouncing my former life. Right. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, we see what is necessary for for that to happen. Yeah. When we look at the only thing that happened that could logically account for this, mm-hmm. and that's that they saw Jesus die. Right. They saw the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, what I said in this application is the cross of Jesus Christ has an effectual power, and I mean a supernatural power, Yeah. to convert someone right. into a public disciple. Mm. There's a power there, and so what's necessary is to put the cross before someone's eyes like they would have observed, so that people can explicitly understand what Jesus did. Yeah, They saw it. They saw Jesus die. They saw him crucified. He's there, and he's saying, like, Father, forgive them. They're seeing his selflessness. Mm-hmm. Um, they see how he dealt with the, the thief on the cross, how he interacted with those hurling curses at him, um, how he took care of his mom. How he he uh, said it is finished and gave up his spirit. They saw the earthquake. Or they they experienced the earthquake, the great darkness that was over the land, and it had a profound effect, enough to make them go public. Right. Say I'm all in. Yeah. I'm, in I'm in with Jesus. I don't care if I lose everything. I'm going to honor him with what little. If I have if I have one more day to live, I'm going to honor Jesus with everything I have. Mm. I'm going to bury him with dignity. Yeah. This is exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's exactly what we see um, through these crucifixion narratives. We've got the, the thief mm-hmm. on the cross next to him who was initially hurling insults at him, <laughs> right. and then halfway through, he is converted. Yep. You've got the Roman centurion who has seen who knows how who many knows? crucifixions and this one's different right right and then you've got two rich religious rulers mm-hmm. right so you've you've got people across the spectrum who they see Christ die mm-hmm. or they see him crucified in the way that he suffers and they are drawn to him yeah um they're effectually drawn so that mm-hmm. it it becomes not uh, this intellectual faith uh, they're willing like you said I, we don't know what happened to him because church history doesn't record it. Yeah, um, at least not that I could see. Um, but they'll be remembered forever, <laughs> right? Because they're yeah. recorded in the Bible as uh-huh. their bravery, um, which didn't come out of themselves. It mm-hmm. came because the cross changed them, and so they they come out into the public, and it's the cross. So mm-hmm. that's that that needs to be primary in like a church's ministry, and if someone's like on the border about like they're an almost Christian, like Woodfield calls them, or they're a secret Christian, what will bring them out of that? That's to look at the cross. Yeah. That's it. See how much... It's a demonstration of God's love for his own. Yeah. Um, and, and that has an effectual power. Yeah. Um, this is why Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter 1, he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm-hmm. And he goes on and he says that for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. And there are so many, there are so many churches that 
they focus on all the wrong things, all the wrong things. Uh, how many how many sermons have we listened to that's all it's just been moralism? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And this isn't just like say hey, a problem in small churches that exist, mm-hmm. like you know scattered across. This is right around the seminaries. And right. I remember in seminary the the chapel speakers that would be brought in. Now it's different now because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of reformation happening at the seminary I went to, but uh, like. One, the culmination of it all. I didn't even go to chapel after this anymore. One of the biggest churches that that is uh, in the Kansas City area. This guy came in and preached, and it was forty minutes of nothing, without even mentioning the name Jesus, yeah, or anything regarding you know him, yeah. And it was all moralism and how to be a good leader and how to be good at this and. You know, have character and integrity. Well, you can you can hear that if you listen to a series on books like Nehemiah. Right. Um, it's devoid of the gospel because it's just it turns into a character study of how to be a good leader, right. how how to organize mm-hmm. like Nehemiah. Right. Right. Instead of seeing the theology that's pointing towards the cross, um, you you just focus on this one guy. Yep. Right. We, uh, Julia and I were traveling last weekend and we listened to uh, some sermons on the way home. And one of them was from a church um, in Louisville. And the pastor was going through a series on villains in the Bible. Mm. And his overarching thesis for his series was that these, you need to pay attention to these villains in the Bible because God doesn't want you to become the villain in your own story. He wants you to be the hero. <laughs> And it completely wants you to be the hero in your own story. Yeah, and it completely, <laughs> it completely misses. Oh, man. So he doesn't have to talk about the cross. Right. He doesn't have to talk about Jesus because you just pay attention to these stories. Don't be like Saul in the Old Testament, or you'll become a villain. Right. And it completely misses the fact that you're already a villain. It's right. too late. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you come into the world as a rebel, as an enemy, mm. um, and you need the cross. And so um, the sermon we listened to, he didn't mention Jesus at all except to say, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of his prayer. He, he wow. didn't talk about the cross at all because you can be the listen hero. to the story and you can, you can avoid being a villain. You can be a hero instead. And it misses the fact that there's only one hero in the Bible and it's not you. Right. And it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not David or Daniel or, or, or Moses. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the only hero in the entire history of the world. There's only one hero. Um, and so he didn't preach Christ crucified. And so you've got people that went away from that sermon thinking it was a sermon on Saul, uh, turning into Paul mm-hmm. and, um, he didn't even talk about sin. He just talked about how Saul brought with him a lot of baggage, huh. which uh, gave so me a good, baggage. gave me a good chuckle. Um, you know, he's persecuting the Christians <laughs> and he's got yeah. all this baggage, um, just missing the whole, the whole story. And uh, you got people that are going away thinking, I just need to not be like, not be like Saul, not let my baggage, um, you know, weigh me down, right. or I'll be a villain. And mm-hmm. it's just missing the cross. And that's just one example of a myriad of sermons from hundreds, maybe thousands of churches across America that are not preaching Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. But they're still saying that people are coming and becoming Christians, mm-hmm. um, and they're really not. 
Right. They're, they're really not being converted because the only way they can be converted is by looking at the cross. That's it. Right. That's right. Yeah. So th- this, just that one application should transform the way that we see church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Yep. Okay. Very good. Um, I'm, I keep telling people we're doing, you know, the, the, uh, exploring membership class right now. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm fond of telling people that if you're, if you're not all about the gospel and about the scripture, you're going to be really bored at our church because <laughs> <laughs> we we're simple church, right? Yeah. We, we just get down to the, the basics. We don't have a bunch of programs and, uh, no bells and whistles, no, no spotlights and smoke and, were, were you planning on riding a motorcycle up onto the stage? I mean, it would be pretty sweet <laughs> <laughs> to get a little ramp, yeah, a little ramp built. You know, think of think of all I think it, the. I think it would. Like, I think it would. Our church is too small, though. I think it would. <laughs> the like the the fumes would be knocking people yeah. out. <laughs> You're probably right. And the noise that my bike makes, uh-huh. it might uh, break a window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I th- we've talked about this before. I, I think of all the resources and the time that are used in all these gimmicks and the pressure that has to be on the pastor and on these whoever's coming up with these things. You've always got to top the, top what you did, yeah. right? You've always got to come up with something bigger to keep people coming back. Um, and what a... I mean, it's it's a heavy responsibility. It's I don't want to say it's it's easy or unimportant, but the relief to say all that we're supposed to do on a Sunday morning is preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. and that is God's that's God's means of saving people. Yes, and so we don't have to try to drum up some new gimmick to get people excited about church. Right. Yep. That's right. right. Okay, that was a little bit of a soapbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, the second gotta applicant. Get it all out. George. We gotta get. Yeah, we just. I mean, we're not going to be doing this next week. We gotta. You gotta get them extra material. There's no free for all Friday. No free for all Friday. Okay, so the second application. Not all conversions are the same. Yeah. We think. I think there's a tendency to think that everyone's got to have this. Uh, you got to be able to point to a specific time in your life where you know that this is the time, and I can remember it because it just hit me like a bolt of lightning, and and I was converted, you know. Uh, and that's just not the way that all conversions, I that they don't happen that way. I think yeah. just you know, you know, if you've been in ministry a little while, you I mean we've seen it a bunch. Uh, there are some that are that way. Mm-hmm. They're immediate. Boom. They're the ones that get the most attention because they're usually the most drastic, you know. You know, I was doing whatever, living in sin. Yeah. Um, and then bam, I was converted. That person gets the platform to tell their awesome testimony. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. But God uses a means and he converts people in other ways. Um Lloyd Jones, uh, like I said, I think he's the one that I heard it from. I doubt he's the one who came up with the term. Probably has been around a long time. Called a sunrise conversion. Mm-hmm. You heard that term? Mm-hmm. So on a sunrise, and it makes perfect sense because in a sunrise, if you go out to watch the sun come up, like thirty minutes before the actual sun comes up, there's light. Like yeah. you can see, you can start to see stuff, and then you can see more and more and more. There's more light, and you can see pretty good even before the sun even comes up. And then when the sun comes up, boom! You know, there's light everywhere. Yeah. 
and some people's conversions are that way. Mm-hmm. They uh, they're beginning like God is doing a work. The Holy Spirit's doing a work. They're seeing more. They're beginning to see, um, and over a period of time, they see more and more and more. And then one day, you know, maybe it's over a period of a month or a year. Who knows? But God uses all these different means, people, circumstances, and then boom, like they realize. I believe Jesus is the Messiah, and I'm, I want to follow him. I'm yeah. a, I'm, I want to make this public. Right. And they seek baptism, and, and they seek church membership. That's probably more of what we should expect from our children. Probably. Being raised in church. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not a you know massive, instantaneous conversion, more of a gradual. Right. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that... Um, I'm glad you brought that out because I think that a lot of people, they can feel um, doubt about their conversion because it wasn't this exciting, monumental you know, event. Right. And so you can think, man, if I didn't, I didn't have that, so maybe I'm not even a Christian. Yeah, I mean... In- I, think the, I think the Puritans may have fallen into that a little bit. Uh-huh. If you read, you know, they had a whole process of what it meant to be converted, and if you if you didn't have that, well, maybe you weren't actually converted. Uh-huh. And um, I, I don't I don't think you can see that in the scripture. I don't think that you can say every every conversion looks exactly the same. I don't. I mean, you don't, you you don't see it in these two guys, right? I think if they were to analyze themselves in the way that. A modern Westerner would. They, they heard Jesus give invitations, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Count the cost. Right. No one's worthy to be myself unless they count the cost, take up their cross, and follow me. And then say things like, anyone who comes to me, they'll never hunger, they'll never thirst. Um, they'll have uh, eternal life. And they didn't come. They didn't respond to Jesus' altar re- call. Yeah, they didn't respond. He had, he had five five verses of just as I am, but no one came. They didn't, they didn't they come. They didn't come. Right. Uh, so it looks like over a period, if Nicodemus, maybe he comes in the beginning, three years for him, don't know about Joseph, yeah. but a three-year conversion mm-hmm. is a long conversion. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I, I, But I, no I, less genuine right. than the thief on the cross, right? Yes. God has his means to convert his own. Yeah. Right. It's not the same for every person. It's important to understand that every Christian will be converted, mm-hmm. and it will become public. Right. But God is free to use people's lives and the mean, like various means. I would say I had a hybrid of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because my conversion, my day of my conversion was like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. That would not have been possible without all of what took place before in my life. It mm-hmm. was a very long process yeah. and, and important circumstances that needed to happen to me in order for me to understand what human depravity was, yeah. what sin was, and what grace was. So I had like a hybrid of this. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what would you say are the common elements of every conversion? Because every conversion is, is it's going to be different, but there's going to be common elements to every conversion that we would say that actually... That actually is evidence of genuine conversion, even in these sunrise conversions. 
the biggest ev- well and, and even in even in these instantaneous ones right we got to be careful that it's not instantaneously being emotionally driven to make some kind of right public declaration sure. um so there's got to be some common elements to what it means to actually be converted understanding what sin is okay understanding that you that Jesus is dying for your sin mm-hmm. this is an important part of a conversion yeah not sin in general you're the sinner mm. you're guilty yeah his death is for you only the holy spirit can bring that home um and then, of course, believing that he died, was buried, and rose on the third day. Uh, and then having a firm belief that he will do what he says. If you come to him empty-handed, he'll give you everything. He'll give you eternal life. Yeah. Um, our, natural, our natural state is to think, I need to bring something to God to get eternal life or to get something. Um, only the Spirit can change the mind to where you actually believe. God will accept me uh, as a sinner, empty-handed, if I simply come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that is uniformly, in, it's in all conversions. Yeah. Whether it takes place over a long period of time or immediately, yeah. that's going to be present. And then the, the change of affections. The first mm-hmm. change of affection which takes place is a love for Jesus it's like the love of God demonstrated in the cross makes Jesus become irresistible mm. and that you love him. Yeah. You didn't love him before, now you love him. You love him so much, you're willing to come out in the open. Um, that's what happens in every conversion. And then more and more affections begin to change, I mm. think, after that. Yeah. God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit begins to change all kinds of affections in your life. But I think those initially are there. That's just off the, kind of off the top of my head. Okay. What do you think? No, that's good. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's going to be a, a sorrow for sin, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to look differently for each person. Right. Um, you know, not everyone is going to break down and weep. Right. Right. Did you break down and weep, Jay? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I, I would, I would have guessed that already. <laughs> but you had a sorrow for sin, right? Sure, and I would say even after conversion, there have been times though when I have had uh, when I've wept over my sin. You know, I've talked to Drake. I mean, people got different ideas how to raise boys and men. Eh, whatever, this is my way. <laughs> I always tell Drake, men don't cry in public. Okay, you are like the support beam of society. Everything could be falling apart in the world, and people could be afraid, and and women crying, and children crying. You don't cry. Here's when you can cry. When someone you love dies, you can cry. If you are deploying and you come home from your deployment, you can cry. Let's say don't 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 cry before you deploy because your family needs you to be strong. You can cry when you come home, and you can cry. Well, he's already converted. You can cry over your sin. You can cry when you're worshiping Jesus. That's it. That's all I'll give you. You're an interesting guy, Jay Jones. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> when else can you cry? Someone you love dies. That's yeah. appropriate. Yeah. Right. Don't be don't be giving me weepy stuff. Yeah. You don't like that David Platt preaching style where he always sounds like he's getting ready to to cry. I mean, he he sounds like he's going to cry every single time he preaches. Every time. I'll accept I'll accept crying in a sermon if you're preaching about Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's okay. If okay. the tears uh, if right. the tears come out, 
Okay. That's fine. Okay. But I, but I keep it keep it narrow. Yeah. You can cry for Jesus, and that's because He did amazing things for you. And yeah. You're, and you're a sinner. So whether you're worshiping in song, you're you're uh, feeling conviction over your sin. What you know the great cost. Mm-hmm. Or you're preaching. That's fine. Yeah. Um, how do we even get on this? I don't know, Jay. I, don't even, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. If we're, if we're tracing the direction oh, so, of our conversation, I, I don't know. Sorrow for sin. Oh, sorrow for sin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorrow for sin, um, and and acknowledging that your only hope is is Christ. You asked me if I cried at my conversion. That's right. That's, that's what right. I. That's what. That's I how we got there. I didn't cry at my conversion either. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a sorrow for sin. Mm-hmm. You you feel the weight of sin. Right. Um, and you see Christ as your only hope. He is the. He is not like you said. He's not just the savior. He's your savior. Mm-hmm. He didn't just die for sin. He died for my sin. Um, and then you come to him. Yeah. Which brings us to your third application, which is going to trigger every Calvinist. It oh, triggered man. every Calvinist in the room. Jay, you didn't even care. I triggered. You didn't everybody? even give a trigger warning. You just so, triggered everyone. Hey, I should right. have left that back there. <laughs> somebody, somebody dropped a uh, like invitational thing behind me back here. Yeah. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> I should have left it there. <laughs> Larry, Larry, was it you? <laughs> you know who it was. It was. It you was know Phil, who it was. It, was yeah. <laughs> it could have been Parker though too. I think That's Parker true. put some stuff in here sometimes. Yeah, he put he put something. So it tri- it's me triggered too. everybody. All right. So Why? while a conversion is all of grace, a decision is necessary. Yeah. That's right. So you've got to make a decision, right? You got to. Like, how, how can you count the cost? How can Jesus tell you to count the cost if you're not making a decision? Yeah. Well, if there's not a decision, then the um, then the straw man argument that Calvinists believe we're all, you know, everyone's a robot would be true. Mm-hmm. You're just doing what you're programmed to do. Right. Right. Instead of there being something volitional. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I fully believe everyone that belongs to Christ will be converted. Mm-hmm. I don't think it happens. Uh, you did, you don't just wake up one day and you're a Christian, <laughs> right? Like you went to bed, you woke up today, and now I'm a Christian, right? <laughs> like doesn't happen, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you don't ju- you don't just fall accidentally into Christianity. No, there's uh, no a- there's no accidental Christians. This is the this is uh, reform reform churches can drift in a hyper Calvinist mm-hmm. way if they're not careful. You know, Joel Beakey was excommunicated from his denomination and formed a new denomination. I told you about mm-hmm. this. And the reason was because he was giving a free offer of the gospel. That's unbelievable. And here, <laughs> here is how he grew up. I could not believe it. So he grew up, I think it was it in the uh, the Dutch Reformed tradition, maybe? He, he said that in his church, about 500 church members when he was growing up, his parents were communicants, meaning they took communion. In that big church, I think he said there were only about 75 people that would take communion, mm. but but 500 members. And the reason was is because all those other people didn't know if they were Christians. Wow. Because, and he, in his words, they're sitting around waiting for something to happen to them. Mm. And so he became a preacher. He's like, I'm just going to go with the Bible. And he starts telling people, Come, come to Jesus if you want. If you yeah. want Jesus, come to Him. He'll save you. He'll forgive you, <laughs> right. and you can know He will do what He promises to do. Yeah. So tons of people start getting saved. Okay. And they put Him under investigation. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wild, right? 
that's the complete opposite of what pastors are usually brought up for. It's usually <laughs> you're not giving an invitation. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. That's a common charge against our church. In uh, it's, it's out there in the community is that we don't give an invitation because we don't give an altar call. That's, that's what they mean. We don't, we don't um, at the end of the sermon say, if you want to trust in Christ, every head, every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hand. I see that hand. Now, when I, when I say amen, you come down to the front. Right. Right. That, that's, what, that's what people normally mean by we don't give an invitation is that we don't give an altar call. Mm-hmm. But all you have to do is listen to our sermons all the way through. All the way through, yeah. And there's an there's an invitation every every single Sunday. If yeah. there's not if there's not an invitation, we haven't preached the gospel correctly. Right. In, any invitation yesterday? Yeah, I would say there was a pretty strong one yesterday. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. was a very evangelistic sermon. Yeah. I mean the the whole thing was evangelistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was a, there was a, a call to come to Christ. You're very right. very strong. Yeah. I think this is this is good for us to highlight for parents because um you know you've got your kids and you're always you're always teaching them the bible we we started catechizing roland when he was two and so we we just they grow up in a christian home hearing these truths well how do you know that your child is is ready or or how do you know that he's really believing and you you give an invitation Mm-hmm. Come to Christ, make make that make that decision to put your faith in Christ. Don't right. wait. Don't wait until later. Don't wait years down the line. Trust in Jesus today. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, and when we when you say trusting in Him, like come to Him, you're literally just come to Him and believing that He'll do what He says He'll do. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, how do I know if I come to Him? And like, how do I know anything happened? Like, how do I know him? Is not like, well, he's, did he say come? Uh-huh. <laughs> and did you come to him, professing faith in him? That's how you know. Right. Yeah. Because he does what he says he'll do. Yeah. And then you make it public. Right. By coming forward to the church. Right. Joining the local church, being baptized. We make it a really mystical thing. Right. We've we've compared it to the Roman Catholic Church before these altar calls. Mm-hmm. You come down and the, the pastor acts like a priest and he absolves you of your sin because you did something. You you did penance. Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of saying the our father, you said the sinner's prayer. Right. Well, right. did you say the sinner's prayer? Well, then I absol- I absolve you of, of your sin. You're a Christian now. Never doubt it. Right. Yeah. And if you ever doubt it, just come back to this time and place. Right. When you said that prayer. Right. And that's <laughs> We're, we've just snuck in Rome. We've just snuck it in. Right. Right. I, I wrote down because um, this this decision, this this coming to Christ, it's a whole person mm-hmm. decision. It's a whole person um, action. So I just kind of jotted these down, what, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So if, I, if I've gone off, you can kind of correct me here. Okay. Uh, the, there's the mental ascent. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, you are saying, I, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he's died for my sins, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's also the affectional change. Mm-hmm. So your desires are now for Jesus. 
Um, you're, you're not going to come to Jesus if you don't desire him. Yes. Right? Uh, but then there's the volitional, that the decision, your will is now I'm going to do something intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's your body by obedience. You do, you, you start to obey. Right. You start to do what Jesus tells you to do. Right. And without all of those things, you don't have an actual conversion. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and we see this with these men, right? They, their faith went into action. It went public. Yeah. And so this is, this is, uh, what we're doing at, you know, when we are converted to Christ, all the things above are listed, but you then come forward and it's declared, right? Yeah. And it's seen most clearly the public declaration, not that your conversion is your baptism, but that the baptism is such a great sign of the conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, and I, and I liken it to joining the military, right? In your mind, before you join the military, you're committed already. Yeah. The conversion has taken place. I'm joining the military. I'm a soldier at heart. Um, but you're not until you've raised your hand and sworn allegiance, right? Mm-hmm. The same way, I think, and this is why, again, we get back to, to baptism. When an adult is converted, there should not be a six-month period before they're baptized, right? Yeah. Not normally. If everything is functioning properly, they've had good instruction, it should be like, oh, you're trusting in Christ? Let's take you before the church and publicly declare this to the world. Right. Um, I mean, that's what we see in the early church, right? It's mm-hmm. happening pretty quickly. Yeah. The conversion experience, as you could almost call it that, encompasses baptism. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, you don't just wake up one day. Like, in the Reformed churches, I think people just sit around and say, something, like when you, in, in Beaky's case in his church, same thing happens in Baptist churches. One day, it's going to hit me so hard, mm-hmm. I won't be able to, like, I'll just have to, like, do something. Right. Instead of hearing what Jesus says, and then responding in faith, yeah, and not not making it more complicated than it is, right? Like, do you believe this? Are you trusting in Christ? Well, commit, commit publicly. Yeah. Do you think this is a misunderstanding of total depravity? Maybe. Like this idea of total depravity being you can't do anything until it might even be a misunderstanding of effectual call. Until there's like this big dramatic moment, yeah, I th- and then and then you can. Uh huh. I think so because again, getting back to the lightning bolt conversion, mm-hmm. even people that have been around churches for so long, um, I think they're waiting for that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not the only. It's not the only kind of conversion, right? Um, when you trust, if you're trusting in Christ. You've got to publicly commit to it. Yeah. Right. Um, there's got to be a decision. Right. And, and so people shouldn't wait around for God to make that decision for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's what they're waiting for. People yeah. God. For. God doesn't believe for you. Right. Faith is a gift from God, but you still have to believe. Right. Yeah. It's. Um, God grants repentance, mm-hmm. but you still have to repent. Right. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, we don't believe it. We're not synergists here. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't believe in synergism. Uh, we're monergists. We believe God does all of it. That's why I said over and over in this section salvation is all of grace from beginning to end. But you aren't a robot, <clears throat> right? That's right. what we said before. Yeah. 
if God's freed, if God has done the work through the Holy Spirit and freed your will and convicted you of your sin, you're convicted of your sin. You believe Jesus died for you personally, and you believe He will save you if you come to Him. Then come to Him. Right. You've got. There's got to be a decision where you do it, or else He wouldn't give it. Jesus wouldn't give decisions, right? Mm-hmm. He'd just say, "Don't worry. Um, one day you'll wake up and you'll be a follower of Me." <laughs> right. Yeah. Count the cost. No one can be my disciple unless they count the cost, take up their cross, and follow me. Mm-hmm. You have to make a decision to follow Christ. Yeah. And then he wouldn't give the the invitation to come to him if you didn't have to come. Yeah. It's like the uh, the third verse of um, And Can It Be, mm-hmm. right, by uh, by Wesley, yeah. uh, Charles Wesley. Um, what is it? Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Um, goodness, I'm going to forget the, the words now. But chained, my chains fell off, and I was free. Yeah, it says my my chains fell off. I was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Yes, like the the picture is being chained up, and the gospel comes, and your chains fall off, and the door of the cell opens, and you get up and you walk out. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, it's the same picture of Lazarus right. when Jesus says, "Lazarus, come forth." Mm-hmm. Lazarus didn't bring himself to life. Jesus brought Lazarus to life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, come out. Well, Lazarus still had to put one foot in front of the other and come out, right? <laughs> right. But because Jesus brought him to life, Lazarus will come out. Mm-hmm. There is no scenario in which Lazarus is going to sit there in the tomb and say, I'm good. Yeah. Right? He's going to get up and he's going to go out. And, and everyone's got to make that decision. Every Christian, every, every real disciple will. Like I said, in, in the church, there's probably a lot of people, not just, not just in, in our church. I know there are some in our church, I'm sure, but in every church. They are there, they're half-hearted in their commitment, they're almost Christians. Mm-hmm. That were George Whitfield called almost Christian. They're secret disciples. Yeah. They're somebody different than they are at church. They're halfway in, they're not in all the way, for whatever reasons. And what the call is, is to commit. Commit it. Commit to Christ. Yeah. Give every everything to him. Right. All right, it was uh, an excellent sermon, Jay, and uh, I would encourage people to go back and listen to it. Thanks. So next week, you you are planning on doing all of chapter twenty. You doubt me? Hey, <laughs> I'm just saying that no one is complaining that you're going through John too slow. Okay. We're enjoying it. So, all right. <laughs> all right well. Um, I hope that this has been beneficial for you. I hope this conversation has been um, helpful. And if you are a secret disciple, the the call is for you to come out and make it public. Um, declare that you're trusting in Christ. And if you've never been baptized as a believer, we would encourage you, um, find a Bible-believing church, make that public declaration of faith, and be baptized. All right. Well, again, a reminder, we won't have uh, Free For All Friday. Uh, this week. We want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Um, Enjoy spending time with your family, and we will see you next time on Conform to Christ.